I just realized that Wesleyan was a huge bubble. The ideal vision of my, my creative career, my life, what does that look like? I know so many people who have been unbelievably depressed. Almost half of my paycheck was going to my rent. I mean, it's been a, a tough first year. You've just graduated from college. You need to find a job and a place to live, make new friends, manage your money, and set yourself up for success. That's a lot, right? In this podcast, you will hear from recent grads reflecting on their experiences and from experts who will tell you how to do it right. I'm Sharon belden Castingway, Director of the Gordon Career Center at Wesleyan University, and this is First Year Out. How important is it to figure out who you are before you decide who you want to be? How important is self-awareness to the career development process? So I think, you know, slowing down was the biggest piece of advice I would give to myself um, because I think, you know, at the time there were so many opportunities and it was really exciting, but running forward sometimes you aren't able to stop and really realize what you're a part of and what you're doing and how exciting or how unique it can be, right? Looking back, I realized that opportunities that I had really wasn't for, uh, not, it wasn't accessible to everybody. I was really, really fortunate and really privileged to be able to be presented with these opportunities and I was able to take it and I think at the right time, the right place. So I think I wish I really slowed down and really evaluated where I was more often. Um, and I think it, 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 that really can open even more doors and more opportunities that, you know, originally you wouldn't have seen. That was Alton Wang, Wesleyan class of 2016, reflecting on his career as an activist and advocate for the Asian American community. Today on First Year Out, we're talking about self-awareness and its importance to the school-to-work transition. I'm joined today by Katherine Brooks, author of You Majored in What? Designing Your Path from College to Career. Kate, you just published the second edition of your book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Why do you think a guide to translating your college career to your grown-up career is so necessary? Well, I think the the good story in that is that our students continue to be very curious and creative and they study subjects that aren't always found in the so-called real world, the world of work. And so they, they have a chance to investigate history and philosophy and, and various area studies programs. and. And there's not always a job right away after graduation for a philosopher or a historian. And so having the ability to translate what they've learned in the classroom to the employer in the field that they're interested in is very important. I have a good example of translatable skills from a recent alumna, Cece Mitova, class of 2015, who has a strong background in science, but who has worked since graduation for a major investment bank. I think before coming to my firm and before joining, I used to think that people who work in finance always studied finance before. Um, and certainly about 50% or 60% or depending on the firm, maybe 100% do. But I think when you say, oh, I studied chemistry and I studied biology, um, that definitely makes you makes for a more interesting conversation. And people, um, I think it really helps you connect with like more senior people and with the clients because you just have a different perspective. So to me, I'm, while I might not actively use my understanding of organic chemistry every day, um, I'm able to kind of tackle um, these complex conversations that clients want to have with us about their business and the strategy and how does 
um, kind of pieces fit together, and that's where I kind of I, I really relate because they're kind of they work in the business, they understand their product really well, and if I can show some value add that I understand it as well, um, it just really helps with the connection. And then um, throughout my time at the firm, I also discovered that quite a lot of senior people didn't study finance, um, and really successful people in finance throughout the industry in general. Um, didn't study finance. I mean, they studied physics, they studied economics, they studied English. Um, and again, I think that makes for a really interesting conversation with clients. And you kind of tend to pick up the technical finance skills um, on the job. Um, there's really very little, I guess, there's very little you can prepare for any full-time job, I think, other than like read the news or something. Because um, every learning kind of happens on the job when you're kind of thrown into the ocean and you learn how to swim. Um, but it's kind of that kind of passion for learning and um, interest in the material that you can bring with you from college. What are some of the ways that new graduates can take stock of those transferable skills that they've developed while in college? Well, I think I'm a big proponent of visual thinking and mapping. And so I, I like to have students map out what they've done to maybe analyze their major, for example, in terms of what they really liked about it. What theories or what writers did they particularly gravitate towards and why? And then also look at any kind of papers or projects or experiences they had while they were taking those courses, as well as thinking back on how did I succeed in that major? What did I need to have, either personality traits or skills that I needed to have to be a really good major in whatever that major was? And then taking those characteristics and thinking about now, how can I find a job that lets me do more of that? How can I find a job that fits my personality the way my major fit my personality? One thing I've heard a lot from recent graduates is that both Luck and hard work play a big part in their ultimate success. Let's hear an example from Johnny Lezebnik, a member of the class of 2016 who works as a writer for television. I didn't know what I wanted to do at all, and then took intro psych and was like, this seems cool, and decided to major in that, and then quickly realized that I should have been a film major. Um, but I was lucky enough to take a course every year with Amy Bloom, who became very much a personal mentor to me. Um, I loved her classes. I TA'd for her and took one of them. Yeah, I just really, like, honed in. And then she helped me with a senior project my uh, senior year, uh, which was writing uh, two episodes of a kid's TV show that I created. And that was amazing. And so she really guided me, helped me, taught me to become a TV writer. Um, and then I knew when I graduated, that's the path I wanted to go down. Um, lucky for me, I have a lot of connections in that field. A little less lucky for me is that um, writing connections are not as useful as just general industry connections, I think, because writers don't have that much power in terms of hiring. Um, I knew some people who were executives at big companies like you know, MTV and stuff like that where I was able to get internships, but when it came time to writing, um, connections aren't as helpful. It's, it's really just more about um, opportunities presenting themselves and how talented you are. So I was really just looking for any kind of work um, that allowed me proximity to writers uh, so in October, my resume looked pretty like neat, but then you realize that I graduated in what, May, June, and there's just a gap from then till October. Um, but uh, in October, I interned or 
I was the writer's TA on the show Bones for a month. Um, again, a connection, uh, which was very kind. Uh, and then my stint on that ended. Uh, that was really just to get experience from my resume and to see what that was like. Um, not a very glamorous job, but a, a, a totally reasonable one by PA standards. And uh, from then on, I was lucky enough to um, a connection that I had. They were looking for um, a personal assistant sort of in uh, the world of children's TV, uh, personal and creative assistant. Uh, and I was just like so excited about that. Um, and they got to start working for these two women. Um, Alex Rockwell and Judy Rothman Rafay, who were um, writing partners and creating a new series, uh, pitching pilots, working on stuff, and I was helping them with all of it, basically just on a, an hourly basis. Um, and I, I loved them. I loved working for them. Um, and then one of them uh, started to work on the second season of a show um, that had been in progress, and I got to help her out as her assistant on that. And then one of the pilots I'd been working on with them uh, got picked up the series, uh, and then they brought me on as the writer's assistant on that. Um, and then, as of Friday, actually, uh, I was promoted to writer on the show. So it's been an, an unbelievably lucky trajectory, I would say. I would say it's about 10% my skill set and 90% luck. Um, so I have just been like super lucky and grateful and. Um, I think it's a, a weird path, but not necessarily an uncommon one, I think, when you find connections that work and that, like you, things do happen. But the weird thing about entertainment is that it's so not merit-based, and so much of it is just being in the right place at the right time and having people who are personally invested in, in your success. Could you talk a little bit about the role of serendipity in career development? Serendipity is everything in career development. I think the studies show that upwards of, of 80% of adults say that they ended up in their career in an unexpected manner. I think there are certain careers that lend themselves to a more linear process, such as accounting or engineering or perhaps going into the law. But aside from those types of careers, there are many people who say, I would never have told you at age 22 that I would be in this career career field. And I think it's it's always being open to new opportunities. It's being willing to be curious and to investigate different fields and then think about how what you've learned in whatever field you studied applies to these, these new fields that you're looking at. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One of the big takeaways from my first podcast, Careers by Design, was that all of the very successful alumni of my institution that I was speaking with all had nonlinear career paths. I shouldn't say all. There were maybe one or two. Like There was one <laughs> physician that comes to mind. Right. But virtually everyone had these incredibly circuitous paths. But one of the themes that seemed to come up for me was self-awareness. They were able to kind of sit down and take stock. Every time they were doing something, they could reflect on it and say, what am I getting out of this? What am I not getting out of this? And as a result, being able to identify new opportunities as they arose. Does that sound resonant with your experience as well? 
Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of the secret behind being able to wander in and out of some different career fields is knowing your talents, knowing what your gifts are, and how those gifts can be applied in so many different settings. You're not locked into just one setting. Um, and, and there are many mid-career adults who uh, maybe have been a lawyer for 20 years and now they've decided they want to do something else. And it's never a waste what they studied or what they did. You always think about, okay, what was I particularly good at as a lawyer? Where, where are my strengths and how might those same strengths fit in whatever field I want to go into? I think that the the presence of, of chaos theory and, and and looking at careers in terms of chaos theory is another way to think about this because chaos theory tells us that it's very hard to predict the future, just like we cannot predict the weather all that well. And particularly the longer your time period is that you're trying to predict, the less accurate you're going to be. We can predict this afternoon's weather probably, but not two weeks from today and certainly not a year from today. You know, we only at that point can look at trends. And so if you think of careers the same way, how far can I predict out? What am I comfortable saying that I'm interested in doing or want to do for the next month or year or two years, rather than trying to say, where will I be in 10 years? I think that gets overwhelming and causes people to freeze up because they don't know where they'll be in 10 years. Several alums I spoke with said similar things. Maimuna Sibi, an African-American studies major from the class of 2016, who currently works at Squarespace, had a good example. So I kind of went through a bunch of different career paths, or thinking through a bunch of different career paths. Um, one that has always been like a huge one um, for me, or always follows me, has been like just working in academia and continuing on and, and getting a PhD and, and becoming a professor, but it was also something that I felt like I've been running from for a while, just because I don't know if I want to stay in academia forever. Um, so outside of that, my interests were either consulting or working in marketing, um, working in some kind of business capacity. Um, so I just sent out so many applications. Like at first, I stayed mainly in like the tech fields, but then I ventured out into consulting and all of that, all while um, being a senior. So I was taking my regular course load. I was done with my AFAM studies major. I was writing my thesis and still taking classes. And then I also decided to um, become a part of Digital Wesleyan. So Digital Wesleyan is was started by and run by Liza Conrad. Um, and it's basically a program that teaches you how to code, teaches you Python, HTML, CSS, um, within a seven weeks um, course, basically. So I was doing all of that at one time, and the reason why I joined Digital Wesleyan was because I felt like a strong inclination towards tech, but I also felt like I didn't know where I could enter into the tech field. So I was thinking, like most people think, to do something more technical. And in order to do that, I was like, I need to know how to code. So that's why I joined that. Um, what else? Also, I have a lot of friends who like, have been bouncing around in different job, um, in different career paths. And I'd say, don't be afraid. Like, things are crazy <laughs> post-grad. You're not supposed to know exactly what you're meant to do. And if you don't, that's totally fine. Um, 
like there's no no one keeping score or record of everything that you are doing. It's all about what you want to do. So I think it's about sitting down and really thinking about what it is you want from life and what it is that you think that you, I don't know, like your ethos, your main um, principles and finding jobs that you can kind of weave that and, and weave that into, but also grow through. I absolutely agree. One thing that I commonly say is your career is not your soulmate and that trying to focus on choosing one thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life is going to be a lost cause in this day and age. Absolutely. And, you you know, the, again, the chaos theory is so helpful here because of the butterfly effect and the idea that unexpected things will happen that will propel your career in a different way that you, you never intended. Um, I personally, if you had said to me three years ago, will you be at Vanderbilt University? I would have said no. I was at that time working at Wake Forest University, but it happened that I was on an evaluation team that looked at Vanderbilt University's Career Center, and when they were later on uh, interested in hiring someone, they contacted me. So, I mean, it's you, you really can't predict this. You have to go with, with what sort of gets handed to you sometimes. Yeah, and I think that oftentimes that idea of needing to wander a bit and needing to work in order to figure out what it is you want to do for work is very freeing for some students and terrifying for others who have always had everything set out in front of them. But I think another piece of this is also parents who are terrified by what they perceive to be a lack of stability for their kids. Yes, and that's always kind of that push-pull thing of do I follow my passion or do I follow what's practical? Or do I, you know, do I pursue the career where I know it's pretty sure that I'm going to have this outcome and a certain, um, you know, income? Or do I pursue the career that's a little riskier but might be more interesting to me? And it's it's always a hard decision. And you ha- I think you have to look for how can I blend those two? How can I take what I really love but maybe find a way to monetize it in some way so that I can make money at whatever this is that I love? Um, finding ways to be creative. And I absolutely agree with this concept of wandering. It's why I created my system in my book called Wise Wanderings, the idea of it's it's really important to wander. And I, and I love the quote from Tolkien where he says, not all those who wander are lost. You know, it's wandering can actually be a very good career strategy as long as you're doing it wisely. Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of mind mapping. I've been doing it in one of my programs here on campus for years. I've worked it into my new Coursera course, Career Decisions from Insight to Impact. We do it as part of our first year orientation. I I totally agree that going through that process and having everything on one piece of paper is, is really enlightening, especially when you have other people looking at it with you and and kind of weighing in themselves on ideas that you might not have thought of before. Oh, absolutely. It's a collaborative process. 
And I was actually thinking back to what you were saying about self-awareness. And one of my favorite uses of the phrase wandering comes from uh, a Nobel Prize winner, Herbert Simon. Uh, he won the Nobel Prize for Artificial Intelligence. And when he was asked, you know, how he developed his particular theories in that area, one of his comments was that he had studied psychology and economics and sociology and computer science. And what he said was that gave him a network of possible wanderings in his brain, you know, places where he could go mentally, things he could think about because he had studied all those different subjects. And so that gave him a unique perspective and way to think about artificial intelligence. And so, um, you know, I think it becomes really important for uh, students and for young adults to become aware of what is that network of possible wanderings that I have due to the various things that I have studied and, and where might I take those things. Hazal Mutar, an economics and psychology double major from the class of 2014, who today works for LinkedIn, spoke to that. My psychology background helped me tremendously and still does. I'm a data analyst, so it sounds really technical, but we're actually highly client-facing, and it helps a lot just to understand how to talk to people, how to understand their motivations, how to cater your conversation depending on what the person, what the motivations are of the person you're talking to. It's been incredibly helpful, um, and I think as opposed to studying human resources management, my background helped me think outside of that realm. So what I realized is that when you study economics, when you study psychology or math, each of those are different schools of thought, right? You get primed to think about it, um, think about them in a certain way. Um, I took like a coding class, for example, um, when I was at Spencer Stewart, and the way coders think about things is very different too. And I think it's it, it provides you a unique advantage to come from a background where you have all the skills, but you haven't yet been trained on that exact framework. Because you can come in as an objective thinker and analyze the situation as is without like trying to squeeze it into a framework. So I'm a huge believer of building skills. Um, my job, like I said, is focused on workforce analytics and understanding what our current workforce looks like and what the future of work looks like. And to be honest with you, and I don't mean, I think there are exceptions to the rule, obviously, but a lot of the, a lot of the roles that exist today will look very different in three years or five years' time. And they're not really going to look different in terms of what they're called, but the skill sets that are required to do them will look different. So as a data analyst, if I, I know how to code, I know like certain like coding languages to be able to do my job, but in three years, I will most likely be needing to use a different tool. And so just constantly being open to this idea that whatever you do, whatever it is that you now feel comfortable will be changing and adopting your thinking to match that is very important. I think this may sound more cliche, but I really believe in it. Learning to be good learners is the number one thing that I have to learn and I recommend this to everyone coming out of college or currently in the workforce because that is the skill that will set you apart. 
um, when I joined this team at LinkedIn, I didn't come from a traditional background for them. I was coming from a recruitment firm, and I was coming into, yes, a talent company, but LinkedIn is a data company, and I was coming into a very technical data analyst role where I had to do stakeholder management and go into client meetings, and I didn't have any of those experiences. But the skills that I built doing my side projects or going to coding classes and just framing myself in a way that convinced them that I'm capable to do this job helps me get this job. And I am confident that when I look for my next player, like even just internally, what will help me grow is my will be my ability to pick up those different things and constantly change um, what I bring to the table. So I really believe in that, and I highly recommend that. Read a lot. Um, expose yourself to what's happening across industries, not just in your industry. Go to lots of events. Talk to lots of people. Talk to lots of entrepreneurs. I'm not an entrepreneur, but there's so much you learn from how they think about things and the tools they use and that, like, I guess, like, eager for innovation. Um, I find that truly inspiring. Um, so things like that have helped me a lot. One of the things that I've gotten really interested in as well is the role that different personal identities play in this process. I spoke at our TEDx Wesleyan U event recently on this topic, really trying to unpack how does being, say, a woman affect my career decision making? How does my social class, my sexual orientation all of the my family background, how do all of those different things come to bear on making career decisions? But actually, that's one way that I find that mind mapping is really helpful as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're all influenced by our background and, and you know, by characteristics that we have, whether that's gender issues, whether it's things like, for instance, my parents were both academicians, so I kind of grew up in a college, university-type setting, and I'm very comfortable with that. And um, so that very much had an influence for me is, uh, even though I didn't start out in academia, I gravitated toward that because that's just an extreme comfort zone for me. So I think those things always become important to be aware of. Sometimes you're actually rebelling against it. I might have gone the opposite direction and stayed completely away from academia, having grown up around it. You don't really know how those things are going to affect you, but I think it's very important to be aware of them and consider them. Let's hear how Mia Rossi, class of 2014, a musician who also works at a music school in L.A., School of Rock, reflected on those family influences. So I am um, I'm a writer and an English major, so I knew I was going to major in at least English, um, just already going in. Uh, so that was sort of a given, and I ended up taking just English classes all throughout. But I also wanted to explore a lot of new things, um, that was part of the reason I wanted to go to a liberal arts is um, I didn't want to be tied down by too much of a core curriculum. I wanted to be able to take like discrete math, which is a crazy math course I took um, with the symbols and everything. Um, did terribly in that class, but it was worth it because it was something I totally wouldn't have, um, I probably wouldn't have seen myself doing. Um, so stuff like that, I took like a, uh, anthropology class, um, 
took a few, you know, COL classes. I took econ. Um, so I really sort of skipped around a lot um, freshman year and sophomore year. Going in, I thought I was going to do pre-vet because um, my, my dad's a veterinarian and um, my parents run their own business. So I was sort of like just just assuming I would do that. That was my plan um, at the time. And then um, it just became clear that English was much more rewarding for me, like for my soul. <laughs> it was like a better fit for me. So um, I, I did do science like the first couple years at Westland. Um, and then gradually, like I think by junior year, I was taking, I took like three English courses one semester. So I was reading three books a, a week. It was pretty cool. Um, and I did some music. Uh, I think just senior year, I started taking like West African drumming. Um, I took a taiko drumming class, and I've been writing music um, since I was like or so but um, it was really cool to be friends with people who were music majors and um, just be in like that creative environment that Wesleyan had um, that's another thing I'm really grateful for is like you know in West Co like in in the, the West Co cafe like area there's there were some kids playing with a looper pedal and I was like that's really cool I want one of those so I got one and started writing songs on it um, and that was kind of the first, like, really more, like, intensive time where I got into music. Um, so just stuff like that, things that you discover when you're there, I think, led me down, like, certain paths, and I just kept writing music, and, um, and now I'm, like, you know, writing songs with, with people and, um, I have songs online and everything, so, uh, yeah, that, that sort of took off really organically, I guess. Well, and I think one thing that interplays with that as well is the role of passion. Most people don't know what they're passionate about. I think people who do know what they're really passionate about have a bit more bandwidth to push back against some of those influences, but if you don't, it's really easy to keep following the path of least resistance. <laughs> well, and I think the word passion can sometimes be a, a little daunting, and I think changing it to what are your interests can help a lot because that tones it down because you think of passion as something you would give up you know, your life for, basically, and, and that can be just uh, more than somebody's ready to handle. I think thinking about it in terms of what are your interests and what, you know, how do you want to uh, focus and maybe uh, be able to work in your area of interest can help, can help people a lot. So getting down to practicalities, if you're working with a student who is really struggling with what it is that they want to do, but graduation looms or graduation has passed <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're living back at home and nobody's happy about that. What do they do next in terms of starting to apply for jobs? Well, I think, you know, going back to your one of your thoughts about the self-awareness piece, have they done the little bit of that um, 
internal analysis work to really think about what is it they would enjoy, what are the areas that interest them. I think for a lot of individuals, and I see this particularly in liberal arts students who have so many interests and things they enjoy, part of the, the reason they're indecisive is they don't really want to give anything up. You know, they're afraid that if I make a decision and I do X, then that's cutting off plan Y. You know, I have to stick with X. And I think it's very important to think of this in terms of sort of what now. Not so much will I want to do this a year from now or two years from now, but to think more in terms of what's not on my resume right now that I'd like to have on my resume a year from now. And that could be as simple as employment. Maybe you went through school and you know were busy with a lot of research projects and things and did not have time to have a job. So your first goal might be to simply have outside employment on your resume. Or it might be that you, um, you know, you've always been interested in a certain field and your goal would be a year from now, I'd really like to have at least somehow gotten into that field enough to meet people and, and perhaps do some networking. And so I really don't care what my job title is because I know I'm not going to be in that job title for 10 years. So I, I just think of it in a short, you know, just a six-month or one-year period. Where would I like to be a year from now? And that can help you get past that initial resistance to finding the perfect job because most people spend their first job looking for their second job. So don't worry about the perfection element of the whole thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that students need to give themselves permission to not like their first job. Uh, I My first job out of college was in advertising, and I hated every single second of it. <laughs> I lasted less than a year. And I, and I think a lot of students will go into that first job, again, through the path of least resistance. I was an English major. I got an opportunity to work in publishing. So, of course, I took that opportunity because I was an English major. And what else am I going to do? But this is a really bad fit for me. And when you actually start to unpack why it's a bad fit, you realize that this was someone who didn't go through a self-assessment process before they took the job. They just thought because they were an English major, they were supposed to go into publishing. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I was a sociology major and an art history minor, and um, I didn't have a clue. So summer jobs, I had always worked in, in stores and gift shops, so I took a job in retail merchandising. And again, like you, didn't last a year. I, I was really unhappy. But what I did do during the time I was at that store was I started to look at what I call energy gainers and drainers. What were the parts of the day that I actually enjoyed and what were the parts that I didn't like at all? And one of the things I learned was that I really didn't enjoy very much. And But they had put me in the human resources office. And part of the day I was interviewing candidates for jobs and uh, it just happened that the store manager believed in hiring people with disabilities, and he had a sister with a disability, and he taught me how to interview people to get their strengths instead of their challenges. And um, I decided that the one part of the day I liked was working with those candidates who had disabilities. So I parlayed that little bit of knowledge into a job as a social worker with the Pennsylvania Association for the Blind. And I did that for a few years before going on to get my master's in rehab counseling. And rehab counseling was not a field I even knew about. I had never heard of it in college. So two years you know, after college, I'm in this master's program 
in an area I'd never even heard of. So, you know, again, I think it's you look for the nuggets, look for the one part of the day or the one thing that you enjoyed, and can I do more of that? Where could I go that would allow me to do more of that? Well, and to recognize that even with a job that's a really bad fit, there might be some takeaway that you're not even recognizing is beneficial. You know, if I go back to my job in the ad agency, I was mostly answering the phone all day. But one of the grunt jobs that they gave me at one point was to do the rejection letters for the people who were applying to work there. And I know I was so bored that, you know, I'm sitting there with this big stack of resumes and cover letters. So I would read them all before I generated the rejection letter. And boy, did I learn what a good resume and cover letter looked like. Perfect. I thought maybe you were going to find a career where you could just reject people all day. Yeah, right. But it was great preparation for going into career services. And I was still a few years away from that. But I had a much better handle on how to review a resume and a cover letter, which I was in a business school environment early on, and I had to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really good preparation. But I never would have foreseen that as a 21-year-old generating rejection letters. No. And that's the thing. is That's that butterfly effect and being on the lookout for these little moments that actually are kind of intriguing, even if the rest of the job is very bleak. You know, what? what's the one nugget I can take from this? What's the one skill that I learned? And, and you also learn what you don't want. Like, I will never take a job, you know, for myself, probably never take a job in retail again. Uh, but I think, you know, someone else might get into that retail job and think it's the best thing ever. Kate, any last words of wisdom you'd like to impart to recent college grads? You know, I think the the best thing I can say is take the pressure off. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to find the perfect job right away. Give yourself the time and the freedom to explore. You know, there's a there's a lovely Spanish saying and I don't speak Spanish so I can't say it in Spanish, but it's life is short but it's wide. You're going to have lots of opportunities to try different things. So don't worry that by trying one option, you're cutting off other options. You're, you're not. You can, you can always circle back around. So take the pressure off. Just move forward. Kate Brooks, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This, is, this has been lots of fun. For me, too. Enjoyed First Year Out? Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review so others will find us. Still trying to figure out what to do after graduation? Check out our online course, Career Decisions from Insight to Impact, available on Coursera. First Year Out is produced by Sharon Belden Castingway. Our associate producer is Lynx Mitchell, Wesleyan class of 2018. Our music is Audio Binger's The Wake Up, available through a Creative Commons license on Free Music Archive. It's really hard. <laughs>